Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick, graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hey, this is Rob Liefeld, creator of Deadpool, Cable, Exports, and more. And you are listening to The Marvelous with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole and introducing our very special guest on the other end of the tin can string, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social media. First up, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Go on Instagram and the Twitter machine at The Marvelists. Find us individually at Peter Melnick on Instagram and Twitter, Peter Melnick Podcaster on Facebook. But remember, there's only one place in the whole World Wide Web that you can find Eddie Wilson, and that is Instagram at Eddie9193. You can also listen to the show on a wide variety of other platforms, but you can hear that on another episode because we want to get into this episode with our very special guest on the other end of the tin can and string. I'm Wally Westing this right now. I know this is competition. Was there an energy drink before we started? Oh, you better believe it. Okay, because this is not sped up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Eddie, we are joined on the other end of the tin can and string with a man responsible for so much of what I love in comics, the attitude I love in comics, and the overall just funness of it. The it's host, fun- the podcast host of Observations. I just wanted to say that. It's such a damn hey, good hey. show. <laughs> it is Rob Liefeld. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This is so much fun. So love talking to you guys. The new thing that is out there right now is G.I. Joe snake eyes dead game how did that come about so uh i am friends with the guys at idw and we they had asked me to do some covers over the years and we've had casual back and forth about gi joe and then the week that marvel i'm sorry that that major x uh came out so april 2019 uh chris ryle called me he's my buddy he's the publisher of idw and he said hey is it time should we uh so we do like G.I. Joe, so we do this project. And uh, he was really adamant about, let's get this on the books, let's make this happen, let me let me see if I can put something together with uh, Hasbro. And I said, you know, Chris, this is that time, because G.I. Joe is on my bucket list. And, you know, Chris reached out, uh, and we started formulating it, had a deal together in June. Uh, Hasbro kind of approved. Uh, when I say a deal, it, it, it involves me saying, well, this is what I want to do with the character. Obviously, this is a licensed character. Hasbro has the master license. They came back. They said, we love what Rob's going to do. Let's do it. And we were off to the races. And now, you know, a few uh, months delayed because of the pandemic, it, it's coming out. And this episode is going to be dropping on the release date of G.I. Joe Snake Eyes Dead Game. So you can get it at your local comic shop or on Comixology or wherever you can get a funny book. And one of the questions that we ended up fielding over on the Cartoonist Kayfabe Ringside Seats group on Facebook, big shout-out to Ed Pisker and Jim Rugg, the question comes from Eric Burke. When G.I. Joe was at Marvel, does Rob think the Joes should have been included in the Marvel Universe? If so, who would he have them cross over with first? Oh, man, what a great question. (laughs) Yeah, you know, look, that Marvel relaunch, uh, not the relaunch of the toys, because I, I told people prior to that, like, there was no G.I. Joe comic. Uh, 
You know, there was those standalone full-page ads that John Romita Sr. did, you know, promoting Bullet Man and Atomic Man and The Intruder, and oh, that, that, that's really the only comic books that you got. And then when they did what I call the Reagan-era reboot of, of the entire Joe toy line with the cartoon and the Marvel comics, I was just telling my buddy the other day that people don't understand how instantly ridiculously popular and it became it started you know competing with x-men for the top slot and was marvel's top book the, the second issue there wasn't enough supply to meet demand because they didn't know how what they had in their hands the first issue so what this is leading into is absolutely i felt it was inevitable at some point that they would run into captain america and the avengers and that is who i believe i mean how like glove in hand is that you know mm. that the joes are you know uh led on a mission by captain america which somehow involves the avengers and i'm pretty sure that's a monster size you know fan event the monster size if, if that were to happen because it's just it's such a natural and again that coverage gi joe number one from marvel with the tank and them all jumping out at you and herb trimpy and just uh the, the book was so marvel for so long and, and to see now that conan is walking through the avengers and i mean it's like how did we not get gi joe with captain america well what did, happened did nobody think of it then i mean what it came out in 82 uh, i guess it started yeah i mean probably a little more editorial people were more territorial and now people understand that you know because uh, look i've been part of um companies in the last decade who are like, oh, no, 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 Now with our current situation, we don't allow our our titles to be licensed out to team up alongside anyone else. And well, that's a hard stance, and I've seen it. Like, you go, oh, that's why, you know, um, there is none of these kind of crossovers that we're discussing. In the meantime, you know, the Turtles party with everybody, and Batman seems to party with the Turtles, and, you know, uh, uh that they do all sorts of interactions, but turtles and the rangers, and it, now everybody understands that. Hey, man, Batman could get a huge jump standing alongside the turtles. The, the turtles get it too, but like it goes both ways. And, and unless you have a goes both ways approach, you're, you're it's going to suck because if the guy with the master license believes that he holds the most important piece, it it makes everything really difficult. And they just over at Marvel. Uh... Last year, they announced that they're bringing Ultraman over to Marvel, at, you know, with the comics, with, you know, Alex Ross yeah. covers and all that. And these in the past two weeks, they just announced they brought over from Dark Horse, Predator and Alien. And, you know, one of the teaser images was, I believe, the uh, the Predator holding Iron Man's helmet. And the yes. uh, Alien one was with my boy Star-Lord and just crazy stuff. And it's such a amazing time to be a fan of this stuff. But then they had to immediately, you got to finish that, they immediately had to follow it up by saying this isn't Conan, they aren't interacting oh. um, with the Marvel Universe. It's just those CB, they had to come out and, 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 and follow it up because it, I thought what well, you thought, oh, they're going to integrate, and they're like, no, 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 that announcement that they're coming, like, these illustrations are announced, like, are our way of saying they're coming to the Marvel line of publishing, but it's like, they had to be really quick to say, this isn't Conan. They're not going to be running through the books yet. And you go, again, it's what I just told you. Like, that's, that that makes so much sense to me. If there was a story behind Predator hunting the Marvel Universe, call it. Oh, yeah. It's huge, right? So, 
Well, on a, on okay. a little, um, I was going to say on a little tangent, you know, not what we were just discussing before that. I, I thought of, well, you know, later in, I guess, the early 90s when the, the NOM was out, you had that one issue, which I think I had heard at the time was a bit controversial and it pissed off some veterans that you dared to put Captain America and Thor and Iron Man into one of the comics, but they made it as like a dream sequence. Okay, that okay. I, I that is not something I remember. I, you have really caught me at a blind spot, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take you. Yeah, they at have your a collection. Work. You what? They have a collection of that uh, in paperback form now. Yeah, right. But that issue number was it forty or forty one was was a was a hot button issue I think for a while. But they, you know they just imagine what if these guys these characters got into the conflict and and it was no, taken. And that at, works especially because there were all sorts of. Not that I was there, but I know because they've told me that there were a lot of, you know, of our military men and women who were reading comic books over there at the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see where that, that is a fun way to integrate, like get them in like a dream sequence or daydream. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so again, more the merrier. I mean, I think everybody, I know like my former partner in Image, Todd McFarlane, started off the pandemic teasing everybody about a Spider-Man spawn and that, that, you know, he could see doing that. And I'm like, really, you're going to draw a, a, so you're going to draw that you haven't drawn in 25 years and you're going to draw a crossover or is Greg going to draw it and you're going to ink it. And how does that work? Because Greg's like, there are certain, you know, parameters that Todd has operated in over the last 25 years, but he certainly hasn't drawn anything like pencil and ink anything in 25 years. And, but even if he was to publish it and got an A-list team like a Greg Capullo who, who would get out of his DC contract and come over and do that, that would electrify people. People would totally be on board for that. Um, but I, and, and I, he's not talking about it unless there's been discussions. And yet, you know, I'm not sure that those deals aren't still some of the most difficult deals to make. Yeah. But the fan response would be tremendous. And another JLA Avengers, you know, again, that stuff, we love that stuff. And now you've got, you know, take my, my son has his friends in, has his friends over there visiting from Texas. We go to the outdoor seating of the, of the patio restaurant. And my buddy wants to, my, my son's 20 year old, college friend who I've just met wants to ask me a question. He's like, Mr. Rifle, do you think that the Marvel and the DC, you know, characters will team up on film someday? And I mean, I had to like hold out my, hold back my food. I was almost spit across the table. <laughs> um, you know, because it's like, it, it used to be Marvel and DC. Then it was, you know, Disney and Time Warner. Now you're Disney and AT&T. And, you know, I just, I told him, I, I, I won't be here on earth when that happens. Mm-hmm. But maybe, your grandkids will experience. But the, the question is asked because the interest is obviously there. Yeah. So crossovers, it's a good thing. And when the uh, pandemic initially started, you know, the it really shook up the comic industry. And, you know, people like Gail Simone were going on saying a crossover would be great. It would help rejuvenate the comic oh, industry. For sure. And it's, it's a shame. And, you know, I you had actually retweeted one of my tweets talking about uh, during your crossover episode, even reprints of, like, some of the stuff. Like, I would love to see a reprint of that Amazing Spider-Man versus Superman treasury. Yep. Oh my well, God! You, you uh, have have mentioned that I have a podcast called Observations, and I covered Superman, Spider-Man, how it came out of nowhere. It was an age where you didn't get advanced 
catalog notices. You didn't even, I mean, you basically showed up in the 70s, and what was there was there, and you were like, oh, what's this? They didn't give you an advance notice that Giant Size X-Men was coming. You know, we're going to relaunch the X-Men with an international cat. No, it was just there. That Gil Kane, Dave Conkrum cover is punching out at you, but that Superman, Spider-Man, to this day, it staggered my young self. Like, ooh, ooh. I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe, is this, is this, is this like a, is this just a cover? Is it, oh, my God, oh, wait, behind this is a whole story? What? They got together? They did this? And, you know, whenever it's been reprinted, it's, it's been sized down, and it doesn't look as good, and it's nowhere near the pop, and, and, and it doesn't appreciate in the same format. And I was so bummed when they went to X-Men Titans and they did it magazine size, even though every retailer would look at them going, I can sell more of these. Okay, we got it. Mm. But the, the tabloid and the treasury editions, it's so, it was such a special way to mark like the excitement around what was going on. But if they just, again, I retweeted it because it's where I live, man. It's, it's just very practical. But as I've said, barring some sort of treaty that we're not aware of, you know, um, these, these, these are different you know, the casual fan needs to understand that the CEO of AT&T and the CEO of DC are hyper-competitive, and they believe very much that what they have is worth way much more than what you have. Yeah. You can't convince Warners that Batman isn't the most important anything anywhere, and you can't convince Disney that the Avengers aren't the most important anything anywhere. So it, it, it just it's kind of a non-starter, and then even if you get to the parameters of something agreeable, then you get to the deal points, and no, 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 no. You know, yeah. how the money gets split up, forget it. Um, it'll take a visionary. I, I, I hope it happens. It would be great to um, observe, participate in, even with a cover, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, like, project, like, the least way that I would maybe be allowed to participate, but, you know, because I, I don't, I, I think I've, I've, I don't really make it my... Um, place to kiss either management's ass, so I'm never like <laughs> first in line. <laughs> so, which is fine. I, I I deliberately put myself on the back of the queue. It's and fun. That's one um, of the things I like about you as a person because you you know you are your own trailblazer. And the next question that we have coming up is from Josh from Panels to Pixels, who is the one responsible for that one video on YouTube that says you are the Kurt Cobain of comics. Uh, Love that guy. <laughs> Dude, I when I told him that we were going to be having you on the show, he was ecstatic. So he has a question for you, and it is something I've always been really curious about and never seems to come up in interviews with the Image guys is the influence of manga on their style, especially you, Rob. Oh, yeah. Huge. He'd like to know more about how you and the Image guys got hip to that stuff and who they were looking at. Okay, so 100%, the guys who are aware of that we were jacking manga are the ones who are the most um, kind of, you know, intuitively cued uh, up to what we were doing. The, the, the stuff that was blowing my mind at that time, especially during New Mutants, was the Appleseed influence. Um, Berserker was a manga. Uh, uh, there's a book called Bastard. And, 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 and those three uh, really kind of manga were just like, oh, my gosh. And, and it, it's not just the design element. It was the way that they told 
the story. My my son just brought in. He loves everything. Um, he loves everything that there is to do with My Hero Academia. And I've watched some of the episodes with him, but he brought home uh, a manga the other day, and I'm like, this is better than any comic I've seen in months. Um, and, and it goes, and it, it's really well drawn. The detail is great. The form is great. But the way they design pages, and again, the emphasis that they put on action, because, look, so let's go back to the, the, the parameters that Stan Lee set forth for Marvel Comics that Jim Shooter followed very religiously, especially his first five years on the job. Uh, it was oh, the open, your opening seven pages, you saw your character in action. You saw Spider-Man swinging, spinning webs, using super strength, establishing this is the character that you're investing in. This is what he does. Then next seven pages is basically character interaction. Peter Parker goes to the bugle, gets an assignment, your villain, you know, and then your character kind of moments set up, queued up, and then the last seven pages are supposed to be, again, centered around action, and you end on a cliffhanger. Comics have gotten so far away from that, and especially when we were coming into uh, our kind of our our time at Marvel, the image group of guys that were kind of shining at the time, McFarlane, myself, Lee, Sylvester, Larson, all of us, I talk about how the guys who we looked up to had gotten tired. Byrne was tired. Simonson was tired. Frank Miller was, was, was on kind of a break. Perez was tired. Jim Starlin was tired. Um, and, and really, you were back to these grids. Paul Ryan was drawing grids, you know, grid comics. Um, Paul Ryan was doing Fantastic Four, was doing Quasar. Really capable, good artist, draftsman, but... The design elements were boring. The pages were dull. John B. Semmel was doing breakdowns. Tom Palmer was finishing stuff. I mean, some of the, like, Silver Age guys were stepping in to contribute, to make deadlines, to do storylines. Um, you know, it was a great tribute to give John B. Sema Wolverine number one. He earned it. He deserved it. It was like a, you know, the guy who brought you, you know, 20 years of enjoyment. Now we're going to give him a guaranteed top mass major X-Men smash. Um you know, I mean, I understand why they were doing stuff. It just, it, 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 it was feeling a little stagnant. And then you have manga at the time, and you're like, hey, these pages are screaming at me, giant <laughs> heads screaming, ah, and throwing punches, and guys being blown through, like, you know, every wall of the building, out the building, into the next building. And so uh, I, I think you pronounce his name Masamune, Shiro, but Shiro was a monster influence. The tech, the gear, the actions, um, the weaponry, the, but but so much. The pages. I remember Eric Larson and I were talking, and he he's the one. He, I I was into Appleseed, and he told me about this manga called Berserker, and or is it Berserk? Yeah, I think it's Berserker. And he's like, no, Rob, you know, this is great, great action. Oh wait, no, there, and there's another one. I forget the other one, but it literally, he literally described it to me as, and now I'm like, I, I, I've got to think of what this was, but he's like, no, dude, every, this book is literally, this guy's walking down the road in like the apocalypse, and every 10 pages he encounters a new nemesis, and they fight for 20 pages, and then he casts him off, and he walks 10 more feet, and, he, and now I, I've got to find out what that is. 
Um, All right, real quick, the name of the book is Berserk. I just looked up on Comixology because I'm planning on buying them now. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that, that's one of them. Um, but the one that Eric told me about is just like, oh, man, I, I, I'll get back to you on it. I see all the images. I just can't think of the of the, of the the name. But, but yeah, so look, absolutely, 100%, we were completely engaged with Manga. manga. Now, t- some of it, well, I think we were all, Larson, McFarlane, and I were the guys who were the most cued to it. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, but, but you, you haven't had, this is the weirdest feeling you're going to get in, in, a, in a position like mine. So I open Extreme Studios. I'm getting young talent, booking as, as many fresh spaces as I can find. I want to just develop talent, uh, give everybody a great, you know, great opportunity. And as I've established, it wasn't cheap labor. I would pay people on their first assignments like they were 20-year veterans. So I was, if you were at Extreme, you had a great gig and gave you a giant spotlight at the heyday of comics. But guys like a guy named Pat Lee, uh, I hired him from his samples and he moved from, I think, Toronto to come and work for me. And I was talking to him one day and we were talking about manga and anime and he was completely unaware of all of it. He was just a Marvel and DC guy. And I'm like, um, okay, so White Rob couldn't get whiter is going to hand you your first manga. And I saw him go, what the hell is this? And I'm like, it's manga. And, uh, and I, I believe Pat is, um, he's a Korean, uh, from a Korean family. And he looked at the, like, what? And then I said, well, there's a, a store um, in Orange County that is uh, uh, an Asian market, and they have a bookstore, and that's where I get all my stuff. And he's like, I'm going there now. <laughs> and uh, he came back with a bunch of stuff in his arms, and it was like, it was funny, like uh, turning as many people, whether they were uh, white, black, uh, uh, Latino, or, or Korean, as Pat Lee, I would, you know, share this stuff, and, and guys like Pat would take the pages and blow them up to 11 by 17 and put them on his wall for, for, for inspiration. So I gave him a book to draw called blood pool and, uh, which is the young, young blood recruits. And again, I I can tell you with great certainty and with a studio full of witnesses that, that I was his exposure to manga. We didn't hide it. It was out in the open, um, for everybody to, you know, because it was such a source of inspiration and, and again when the cartoons would come out and I still argue with my kid about you know what's what's better the stuff that I liked as a kid or, or his stuff because he'll go oh no dad nothing nothing can touch my hero academia nothing can touch one punch man and the one where he's he's really uh, on solid footing is attack on Titan is phenomenal but I'm like eh, I'll still take ninja scroll I agree with you completely <laughs> okay ninja scroll like hello, um, and and so it's fun. It, it's fun that my kids dig it, you know, so much. And then we've had just the most giant knockdown, drag out Akira um, arguments. But yeah, so look, it's a great question. It totally informed us. I believe it was the template for what we were all doing. And again, when it gets to page design, and I said on my podcast recently about Art Adams, his influence goes beyond his line work. I. I if you see a guy jumping midair with their thighs, you know, their knees up to their head with their, you know, legs 
spread and their arms spread and they're jumping and they're kind of frozen. That is an Art Adams gesture, and no one was making them before him. Not George Perez, not John Byrne, not even Frank Miller. There was a specific kind of this weeping, hold yourself in the air. And in manga, you see it when someone is rising, and they're rising slowly, and the background's moving fast behind them, but they're having that slow rise with their fists as they lift. And we started pulling that same stuff off, the manga version of what I'm telling you, on the comics page. And some of us implemented the speed lines, you know, and uh, that was our way of, you know, showing you that was that's something that we saw in Akira and all this other stuff, and I have the name of the book. It's The Fist of North Star. That was Larson's giant, like, Fist of North Star. Like, he fights ten guys every every issue. And I walked around WonderCon with him, and he's like, buy this one, buy this one. And so I got my Fist of North Stars. So, and again, Fist of North Star was really... Uh, a giant, like, fight comic. And we've gotten away from that. What I said about Stanley and Jim Shooters, the parameters, you know, there are now, what happened is in the, in the early 2000s, the doors opened and a bunch of guys who wanted to write dialogue like Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, were given the keys to the castle. And they were seen as the new saviors. And like, I'm the next Aaron Sorkin. You're not, but okay. And I don't want big speeches in my comics, man. You know, give me one villain speech at the end of the arc, okay? But um, I, I like seeing my bad guys do stuff. Like, you know, De- Dr. Doom could wax poetic with the best of them, but he's also dispatching a bunch of Doom bots to kick your ass in the streets of Latveria while he's doing it, right? Like, he's on the balcony, how dare you invade my kingdom while they're getting throttled, okay? He still so, owes like $250 to Luke Cage, apparently. Oh, say, well, oh that, that's correct. <laughs> that's how petty so, he is. <laughs> Those are, those are great stories. Those are great, great, great stories, great comics. Um, but like I said, man, we, we've kind of really gotten, uh, uh, in my opinion, away from that. And I will always try and, you know, lead with action, excitement. Because, again, I mean, they haven't stopped doing that with the manga that they're publishing. Like I said, that My Hero Academia is my favorite version of that. This manga that he handed to me, I, it really jolted me back to 1989 when I'm, like I said, driving to this uh, Asian market in Costa Mesa where they had their bookstore and everything was wrapped. You could not unwrap it. You it, you had to take the shot like, I'm buying these 10 books and I'm spending this 100 bucks and then I'd unwrap when I get home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I chose correctly. So there you go. So now before we wrap this episode up, because we know you are on a limited schedule, we have one more question because we're going to be recording an episode with him today, and we want to tie this in. Uh, We have a question from Tom Scholey, the man who is responsible for the upcoming Jack Kirby, well, actually, as of this recording, currently, Jack Kirby, the epic life of the king of comics. And his question to you is, what is your favorite Jack Kirby memory? Uh, Is that memory from comics or... Oh, it can be anything. Uh, well, okay, so we go to have Jack and Roz come out of the aisle while I am walking around San Diego Comic-Con uh, with, with uh, one of my studio mates at, uh, in 1990. I have already done a couple panels with Jack. There's so many memories. Jack, they had put me on a panel with him at an L.A. Comic-Con Mike Mignola was on one side, I was on the other. We really, I mean, Mike was already much further along in his career. 
I'm in my new mutants stage, doing well, but obviously neither of us together combined, cloned a hundred times, can touch Jack. And Jack, we just were in awe of everything he was saying. So I had met him, encountered him. So he came out behind the booth. I guess I passed where he was, had the Jack Kirby booth, and he and Raj came by, and he said, Hey, what you're doing is, is what I'd be doing. Maybe it was 91. Maybe we had announced Image. Because he's like, I'd be doing what you guys are doing. And I'm like, you did do what you what we're doing. You did Pacific Comics. I remember when Captain Victory happened, and that was an ad in magazines, and you got to check this out. And what Jack is doing, uh, an independent book that he's going to own. And what that followed up with was Roz saying, come, to, come by the house and let's have some dinner. So we go to his house in the afternoon, probably 3 o'clock, and we didn't leave until almost 1 a.m. because I finally was like, "This Jack is not a young man, even though he had more energy than all of us, and he needs to rest, and we could have stayed till, you know, sun up. I mean, we could we could have, you know, been there till dawn, and I think Jack still would have been telling his stories, but I think Rod's kind of nodded like, yeah, we should probably get Jack to bed. This is... This is about a year and a half before he passed. So he had energy to burn, and he was completely energized. I brought some of the guys from the studio up. But when he first – some of I, I saw one yesterday on Facebook, and it's so funny that they're now, now out in the public. And what I'm speaking of is his biblical drawings. And so here – I'll wrap it up with this. He would – they hadn't been – I had not seen his biblical drawings before, his drawings of God or the Battle of Jericho or – you know, Moses through the lens of Jack Kirby. I had not seen any of that. And the originals were, they were all double pagers, and they were framed on his walls in the hallway of the Kirby residence. And I'd say, what's this? And just so casually, you'd be like, oh, that's the Battle of Jericho. And, like, I'm like, there's a giant organ but it's a giant Jack Kirby machine with this dude who looks like an alien playing it. And down below the cliffs, you know, with all these, there's all these Kirby armored guys kind of waiting to act. But you see this, this giant, you know, fortress kind of collapsing. So the minute he said it, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Jack Kirby trying to battle of Jericho. Save me, Jesus. Um, I, was, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor's son. So the fact that, and then, like I said, Jack, there's a giant head. And I thought, is this all, is this High Father? Is this, and I said, who's that? And it is the most ominous, giant, biggest splash. I mean, it was bigger than a splash page. His whole face with this cascading hair all around. And he goes, oh, that's God. And he goes, I know that that's God because Jack would not have drawn God unless he saw his face. So I know what God looks like now. So, and that is a mixture of, Later that night, World War II stories, a naked Nazi jumping into his foxhole, um, uh, just – and, and in his dilemma, like, what do we do here? This naked Nazi who was clearly surrendering to him and his uh, – there's another guy in the foxhole with him. So all we got all the stories. It was magic. That was one of two visits I had. That is my um, most magical memories of Jack. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't until – about six weeks ago, I realized I'm the only image guy that broke bread with this guy. Um, they, they, I am like Todd McFarlane did not go to Jack's house. Jim Lee did not go to Jack's house. Eric Larson did not go to Jack's house. 
They didn't hang out, and, and it's, it's sad to me. And it's in the same way that Kevin Feige last year at San Diego Comic-Con, when I said to Kevin, how excited I am about Eternals. I was like, I'm so excited. And he said, Rob, why is that? And I said, Kevin, it's all Jack. There's no stand in that equation. We are going to get 100% unadulterated, you know, Jack Kirby. That's, I'm so excited. And he said, yeah, it's just, he goes, it's such a shame Jack didn't live to see any of it. You know, he goes, like, like Stan saw so much of it, but, and I said, don't, 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 I mean, don't go there. I know. Like it, and the thing, the thing about Jack that I was even thinking today, like the way me and my crew, we go and we tell you, like, I designed that. I created that. That character is mine. Had Jack lived and been around for any of this Marvel success, he would be the best known. People, people would have gravitated to him even more than Stan because there was a warmth to Jack that you could not escape, just an absolute warmth. And then Jack would have told you why he designed this to be that way and that armor and this headpiece and that, you know, you know, landscape of Asgard. Jack would have been out there telling you and taking authorship. He was not going to shrink away and, and shy, shy away from, from letting you know all that he contributed because he was very proud of what he did. And, 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 you know, when we are out here and we're promoting stuff, like I'm promoting Snake Eyes, it's, you know, because that's what Jack would have done. It's, it's pr- pride of authorship, right? You know, whether it's doing an adapted work like I am, because, again, I did not create G.I. Joe, but I'm happy to participate. You know, Jack did adaptations, too, like 2001, mind-blown, right? Yeah. Oh, that, ad- that adaptation still to this day. So, look, those are my favorite memories. Um the magic, the magic of Jack uh, cannot be denied, and it is, you know, it, we're, we're, we haven't seen half of what we're going to see, because again, like with the Eternals, and I, and I really do hope there's some reflection of his work in that stuff, because um, then I saw some of the costumes, I'm like, okay, maybe we're not going to stick to Jack's template, mm. um, but you know, uh, it's too early to tell, you can't make the Celestials not the Celestial, like they, they it's such a specific jack kirby template so very hopeful for all that's to come still from the jack kirby playbook because we haven't seen even in my we've only seen a third or maybe not even that much of of what his output has been so you know that's it you got me wound up talking about jack (laughs) for you rob and speaking of wound up peter sent me a link to your podcast observations and i got about an hour and 10 minutes of of you on, you know, amped up kind of thing. And I said, this is either super well edited or he just doesn't come up for air. Oh, I'll be honest right now. No, I do one take. Um, That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm one, uh, because, and my, <laughs> the other day, my son, I have to tell my kids, they're home, obviously it's summer. You guys got to be quiet while I do this. I don't have like a professional room. I'm just like, I'm in my office. Don't please, if you can be quiet for an hour. And I said, my son said, what are you going to talk about? And I said, I don't know. But uh, when I took the mic on, I'll just go, and I, I love I love that you said that because Robert Kirkman did go. Hey man, I've listened to like five of these, and uh, are are you just like are you just talking nonstop? And I go, yep. I just I pick a subject and I go because I'm, this is my passion. You guys have already yeah. been there. You had your podcast. As I told the Kayfabe guys, my podcast was born out of sheer loneliness. Who do you <laughs> talk to when there's nobody else? 
you buy a microphone and you talk into it and you act like there's an audience for you. And it has, it has been my therapy. So thank you for mentioning. So really quick then, how long has that been going on with the podcast? And how would you say, if you know, how many episodes have you done? Uh, episode 14 drops tomorrow. Every Tuesday, every Friday, I have new episodes. Um, I am just walking through comics history. Uh, tomorrow, uh, th- this week, was on the editor-in-chief at Marvel, who made the grade, like, who, who, who looked out for the creator and changed comics for the better and who kind of didn't do shit, and, and I don't mince words. And, uh, and look, we're barreling towards my own era. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, I started in, like, 1975, and I'm probably next week firmly in, like, 1986. So, and then, but things are going to, like, I, when it gets to the stuff that I participated in, um, like, like my peers my peer group and i at marvel and then image oh uh, that those may be nine episode installments I, I got a lot to say and i've been i've been holding it in for a long time and i have all the receipts that's the best part man i have pulled out document after document after um letters and you know the great thing about the 90s was it was the age of faxes so <laughs> there's no emails i have faxes Rob. Yeah, except I just okay? want I I got that stuff. I just want you to know your Todd is like my favorite impression on the entire <laughs> show, and I kind of learned how to do one because of that. So thank well, you thank so you, much. Thank you. I, you know, he puts it all out there. It's right there, just to take from it. It's low hanging fruit. Thank I got to check those receipts out because if you have the faxes and the thermal paper, that stuff evaporates. You know, they keep saying it, but it hasn't yet. My the friend, ink, and I've taken I've taken good. Um, quality copies, but I looked at one yesterday that's 28 years old, and it's it's holding up. That thermal paper, maybe it was a myth, or maybe I bought really durable stuff. Keep so. a scotch tape away from it, then, yeah. Okay. So before we wrap this episode up, first off, by the way, one little compliment I have to make about the show. You uh-huh. do a phenomenal job with a one-man show. One-man shows are impossible to do. I do a <laughs> side show, and it's like I'm like gasping for air after 10 minutes thinking, what do I talk about? You manage to fill out an entire thing that's engaging and engrossing for the audience. So kudos beyond well, belief. Thank you. Please promote it. I, I, I love that, that somebody besides me is listening to it. Thank you. Um, I, I really, and, and thanks for, for giving me time to hang out today and talk about snake eyes and talk about comics. These are my favorite conversations. Um, I, I'm very excited. Uh, Rob, before, to hang out with you guys. before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? So on Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld because a rat bastard got to Rob Liefeld before me, and I'm not paying him his squatter price. <laughs> but at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, on Instagram, I'm at Rob Liefeld. And uh, look for the blue checks because there are imposters. Um, and, and, and then on, I'm, I'm all over social media. I'm, easy, I, I'm never hiding. I'm easy to access. So thank you. Absolutely. And once again, check out Observations available wherever you can find podcasts like ourselves and yourself. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Malnick. I'm Rob Liefeld. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! There's no questions today. I just love this song. It's been in every episode for the last like month and a half. And I didn't think today would be the day we'd stop. So... As we just run through the outro here, you're going to listen to Spanish Fleet by Herb Alpert and his great band. So just keep it up. There's the Tijuana Brass you're hearing, baby. And you have a nice rest of your night. Woo!